Hello, 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 and welcome back to the More Money Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Morehouse, and this is episode 343, and uh, we're exploring a topic that we've not explored before, and I'm very excited, even if the topic may seem not super, I mean, it's not morbid exactly, but it is a serious topic. And that's why I want to have my next guest on the show because it is really important and it's not something that gets talked about often, but it is likely something that a lot of us will experience. And so we need to better understand how to navigate this. And what I'm talking about is widowhood and money. Um, You know, I have had some guests on the show to talk about divorce, but, you know, when you become a widow or a widower, it's a different situation. Um, you know, sometimes it is uh, sudden. Uh, sometimes you do have some time to plan. And that's why I want to have Richard Dree on the show. He uh, is a financial advisor with over 20 years of experience. And uh, he has some personal experience with this topic. In 2020, he lost his wife, Mary, after a uh, battle with cancer. And uh, it is his legacy to her to help others navigate their journey through grief. And he helps people in transition, whether it be through death or divorce. And he also has a podcast himself called Widowhood and Money. So if you want to check that out after listening to this episode, if this is something that you want to learn more extensively about, just uh, make sure to check out his podcast uh, where he talks about widowhood and money and, you know, relationships. Um, And in the process, he hopes to really help people understand a little bit more about themselves and you know, honestly, how to move forward with knowledge, strength, and also optimism. And so uh, we have a lot of things to touch on and explore in this episode with Richard. And I I know you're going to really find a lot of value out of it. But before I get to that interview, here's just a few words I want to share about this podcast season's sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Desjardins. Does your financial institution share your values? Because Desjardins is about more than just money. They are on a mission to enrich people's lives and improve the economic and social well-being of Canadians everywhere. Desjardins' main goal as a cooperative is to support its members and make a positive impact on their communities by providing exceptional customer care, offering a variety of financial services, and above all, listening to its members. They've also been at the forefront of sustainable investing as one of the first financial institutions to offer responsible investment portfolios. To learn more about Desjardins and how they're a cooperative making a difference, visit Desjardins.com. Welcome, Richard, to the More Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Jessica, for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Yes, yes. I, uh, it's sort of a, not, well, sort of a somber topic, but I think an important topic, and that's why I really wanted to have you on the show, is because one of your areas of expertise, I know you have many, but one of your areas is uh, helping people navigate what happens, you know, in the event that you become a widow. Now, I've had a few guests on the show to discuss what happens if there's like a dissolution of marriage, if you are are divorcing or separating, how to navigate that. But when you, your partner passes away and you become a widow, it's a very different situation, I would imagine. So first, I want to kind of start with you. So you have 20 years of experience as a financial advisor, but you also have, you know, kind of a personal connection to this topic. So I'd love to kind of, uh, you know, learn a little bit more about your background, what kind of brought you into the world of uh, finance, and then also what drew you to wanting to educate people about how to navigate widowhood. Yeah, well, thank you, Jessica. Very good way to begin. 
So I actually have closer to 30 years of uh, oh. financial planning experience. <laughs> well. yeah, nine, <clears throat> I think in uh, 2023, next year, it'll be 30 years that oh, I've wow. been in, in the profession. Uh, so in that period of time, the majority of that 30-year period was, uh, was really aimed at working with the entrepreneurial market, the business owner, uh, his family, people that worked within the company and were part of the family, and then those were, that were part of the family but didn't necessarily work in the company. So it was a very complicated um, situation for family businesses, especially in Canada, whether it be investment planning, tax, um, but also in terms of how to, keeping, how to keep the family together. Um, often it is said that a happy family or a family that works together will have a successful business. It doesn't work the other way around. Just because you, you may have a successful business, you don't necessarily have a successful family. And I think most people, when they do finally lie on their deathbed, they wish they had a, a successful family, a very loving family. So I worked with that group for years and years, and I enjoyed it uh, tremendously. Uh, my life changed in uh, January of 2020 when my wife actually passed away, sadly. Uh, it was not unexpected, but as most widows and widowers would, uh, would probably say that it doesn't matter. Even if you, wait, you waited for it and you expected it and you, you knew it was evident, uh, inevitable, it's still a shock. So my life changed both from a personal perspective and, and a professional ex, um, perspective. So what I did after January of 2020 um, during COVID, which uh, put everything a little bit on a, on a slow path, but anyhow, I started researching from, from not just my own feelings, but what other widows and widowers were we're facing both from a financial component or financial aspect, but also from an emotional aspect. And I, I, was, I was surprised that um, there's a tremendous amount of help needed for people, including myself. I'll give you a couple examples how, of how I, being the financial expert, kind of missed the boat on a, two or three issues that were things that I tell people all, all the time. So from that day onward, I, I still work with business owners, but all my new clients at the moment, uh, and I should mention I work with uh, Scotia McLeod. We're at Midtown, in Midtown Toronto. I'm a financial advisor, uh, financial advisor and a portfolio manager with them. So my new clients as of 2020, January of 2020, are now widows and widowers. And I have a lot in common because of my own personal experience. So I'll give you an example of how during that period of time, your brain may not be working properly. Uh, and it could be either before the death or after the death. So we were married, Mary and I, for 33 years. And as I mentioned, I've been a financial advisor for many of that, 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 year, that period. And I put, I put our family house, our home, in Mary's name, and as you know, matrimonial homes are divided 50-50 in the event of a marriage breakdown, but that's not what I did it for. I did it in the event that I, if I became subject to a lawsuit, I didn't want the family home to be affected. And I think it's a common practice uh, with business owners. Mm -hmm. 
Well, it turns out that I forgot I had done that. Ah. And Mary was about to pass. And I'm not kidding. I felt very, very badly. But I, I realized it about three or four days before she passed away. And you know, the probate fees in Ontario, uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada is about 1.5%. And then you get access to the home or, or, or you get ownership to the home. Well, we unfortunately, we had to have a lawyer come to the hospital who redid the, uh, the ownership of the home. I put it into joint ownership because I didn't have the heart to put it into my name. And then when she did pass away, I moved it to my name. But if I hadn't done that, and I have heard widows and widowers not do that, and it'll cost them 1.5% when the first spouse dies. And then when the second spouse dies, like when I die, there's another probate fee. Uh, so it, it's ridiculous. I don't know how I forgot to, to look at that, but looking back now, the, it's the last thing you're thinking about. Mm -hmm. But it is very important. Um, so that's where I, I've been, and I look forward to hopefully working uh, with widows and widowers uh, from a financial planning standpoint for hopefully many years to come. Absolutely. So since you kind of mentioned this was, you know, that could have been a, a potential huge, you know, financial, you know, burden that, that if you hadn't realized that in those days uh, to to make that change, uh, that would have been, you know, a, a big impact on your finances. What are some other um, things that people should know? Like, it may be easier to plan these things, like maybe in a situation where you, you know, it's not such a sudden situation, but maybe not. You can plan for these things well in advance. So what are some things that people should look out for? Some of those maybe documents that they may not realize, do you have your spouse on that, that people, you know, who are in a partnership should make sure they've got their kind of ducks in a row? Yeah, good point, Jessica. I think you, you have to start with the will. Uh, as you know, most Canadians will die without a will. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. I know we feel we're going to live forever, but start with a will. If you don't have a will, even if you're not sick or your spouse isn't sick or your partner isn't sick, it, you need a will. Okay, but let's assume you need a will, and you do. Some couples have very old wills that they created when they were first married or first uh, ch a child was born, and it may have to be revisited, especially if you still have um, children under the age of, of 18. So I think the will is probably the most important component. And then what I would look at then is I would look at your, if you're employed, look at your employer pension benefits. Like who is the beneficiary of your, uh, any life insurance that you may be may have already bought because after you get sick, I don't know if you can buy any. So make sure you, you again, to avoid probate fees, you want to uh, pick an individual rather than have it go to the estate. You may also have critical illness, which you may have already talked about in the past with your listeners. That is very, very helpful because if you do have critical illness insurance, uh, which means that it'll pay if you have if you become diagnosed with a particular illness, such as cancer, heart attack, stroke, uh, they will cut you a, a check for the amount of the insurance. It, it won't change your life. It won't make you better. But it might give you an opportunity to maybe go to the Mayo Clinic if there's any 
choice, any uh, um, possibility of getting a better um, treatment plan. Although Mary had great treatments here in Toronto, in Ontario. I don't know if it's any better, but you do have the opportunity to do that. So your wills, your employer health benefits, if you have any private insurance like your own, make sure the beneficiaries are, uh, well, buying them. Yeah. Because many people die and they have that stuff. And then while we're on the topic of finding things, um, make sure you document where your accounts are. Like if you have accounts at Scotia, is it a checking account? What's the account number? If you have electronic assets or digital assets, which are becoming more and more, po- more, and more popular, uh, that is another bag of uncertainties there. Um, you know, your Google account, your Gmail account, if you have one, your Twitter account, your LinkedIn account, all that stuff. Because even as an executor, you can't go into your husband's uh, LinkedIn account or, or Facebook account. You need permission for that because you'd be impersonating him or her. And that's not allowed or not legal, but most people from what I've heard will do that. So there's a, there's a laundry list of things to do. Start with the wills, identify where everything is, make sure it's up to date, make sure people know where things are. And, but that's just the financial component. Then you've got all your, your emotional component. Talk to the children, talk to your friends and family. Uh, we can talk about that if you want. But yeah, I know no, let's talk a, about the emotional. This is a money I, show. I, this is a money show, but I think, um, I mean, money is also an emotional thing. <laughs> and death is a very emotional thing. I think that's where, I mean, I, I you know, have seen death in, in my, you know, family with my, you know, grandparents and seeing, you know, my my mom and her brothers uh, deal with a, a lot of that. And it's very emotional and very difficult. And at, at the same time, you are forced to make a lot of financial decisions in that state of mind. So what are, you know, some things that if this were to happen to you, here are some, you know, great things that you can do to make sure that you are in the right state of mind. So you don't make an emotional decision that you'll regret later on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, um, I think from what I've read and what I've, ex- what I've personally experienced is the first year uh, although it may not be the hardest year in your in your grieving journey, your uh, maybe the year when or period of time, it may be more than a year, maybe less than a year, but let's say hypothetically, roughly a year. And by the way, everybody goes through the journey at their own pace, so this is by no way, no means, a definitive answer to that question. But I think during the first year, at least for me. Um, I was numb. I was in a fog. They call it fog brain. I call it what, what you want. I think you were, you were st- I was still in shock. Um, and if I had to redo it, and I didn't do anything big, but I read a lot of widows and widowers say or recommend don't do anything really big in the first year. For example, don't sell your house. Um, you may eventually, but at the moment, you're just not ready to determine where you're going to move, whether you should even move, and and where and how. So if you can avoid or delay big financial decisions until you start thinking a little bit more clearly. The other one is about dating. And I know we're, we're talking about money, but um, 
especially for men, they, uh, and I can only talk for men, I guess, uh, but there, there, there is a, um, a tendency not uh, what to replace your wife, to p- replace your spouse. And that may not mean that you love the person that you're dating, but it just may mean that she is replacing what you were missing. And, and again, it, it may only be a while, and then you find out that that's not the person that you really want to be with. So I think any major decisions that you have to make, financially or emotionally, I would see if you can postpone them for a year what, what, until you can actually think a little clearer. Uh, but then there are things that you have to do immediately. Uh, probably the most important thing is your cash flows, your cash flow budgeting. Are, are you... Can you survive financially now that one spouse, who may be the breadwinner or partial breadwinner, is no longer there? So we we start with cash flows. Like, um, is there enough money from well the the savings or any pensions or any survivor benefits uh, work? Is there enough money to maintain the standard of living? Do you know Jesse uh, Jessica? The average female who the the average widow in Canada becomes a widow at the age of 57. Wow. Yeah. So you think, yeah. So you think a widow is someone who is in her eighties or nineties and there of course are, but the average woman becomes a widow or the average widow become, became a widow at the age of 57. So she may still have children at home. She may, may still have debts. Um, she may not have worked. Uh, she may have been a stay-at-home mom. Um, so cash flows are the most important component. Uh, then, and I think we have to do that immediately. The other, some of, some of the big, big changes, you could wait. The other thing you should look at almost immediately, well, maybe not immediately, but within the first three to four months is your own mortality. If you were to die as a widow or a widower, and if you had children or dependents on dependents, you have to determine how they're going to survive financially. So you need your own will, and maybe you need life insurance, and you need to evaluate how. If you still have a kid who's in the university, like my youngest is, is still in second year, third year, so she still needs education funding and. Um, a little bit of cash flow here and there, but uh, fortunately, the the high cost years are over for me. Um, but if it was if I was younger, if I was say fifty or fifty five, then I might still have more of those years. So if I died, then the children would, could be in a financial mess. So those are two areas that you want to look at very quickly. Widows are and widowers are, in my opinion. They're disadvantaged, and I don't, we don't give them enough credit. Um, I didn't know this, but so Mary worked, and she was a stay-at-home mom, but she also had a, a sort of a side job that she did for, from day one practically, and I worked full-time. So I, I'm going to be eligible for pretty well full CPP. Mary was eligible for about, let's say, three-quarters of her CPP max in Canada, the maximum CPP that you can qualify for is the maximum that one person can receive. So let's say I could receive, today's maximum is about 15000 a year. And let's say Mary would have 
qualified for 10. So when we're both alive, we'd get 10 from her and 15 from me, which would be 25. You would think that I get her survivor benefits. No, I don't get her survivor benefits if I'm already at the maximum CPP. If I'm already getting 15, I don't get anything for her. And that's a big so, amount of money lost. You know, that's $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Over, and it plus inflation and, yes. and until I'm maybe hopefully 90 or whatever. Uh, don't forget the old age security. You, you lose OAS immediately. Once she died, I, wasn't, I didn't qualify for it. But uh, when I do qualify for it, I, I won't get her survivor benefits for, for OAS because there are none. And then all the uh, pension splitting. So, you know, if you have a spouse or a partner, you can split Canada pension. You can split your RRSPs, your, your pensions from work. Well, I, I can't do that. I don't have anyone to split it with. So I could have potentially clawback uh, for my OAS, a higher tax bracket. Mm-hmm. I could go on, but <laughs> I know yeah. we don't have a limited amount of time. Yeah, no, those are important considerations. I think the other thing to also um, be mindful of, and I know uh, I was looking on your website, there's uh, some articles, some really great articles about some things to, for people to keep in mind is one thing that I think, you know, people do think about the wills, but they sometimes forget about making sure that their spouse is um, a beneficiary on some of their registered accounts. And that could also be a big um, you know, financial setback if you didn't. I know for me, honestly, there's one form I still have to fill out for my husband on one of my accounts. And that could be, you know, a huge burden if it has to go through the estate instead of being passed on to you. Do you want to kind of speak to some of those things that people should make sure they tick that box, sign that document, because it could be a, a big life changer? Yeah, that's a very common uh, problem. So RRSPs can... Um you can pick a beneficiary. You can pick, usually you pick your spouse um, because they can roll over to him or to her tax deferred. Um, there are alternatives. You can uh, have them uh, roll over to um, uh, a child who is under the age of 19 or a child who is disabled. Okay, but those are rare circumstances. The majority of times people would want the money to go to their spouse. But they could, if they don't tick their spouse off, like actually name him or her, uh, and if it's blank, it goes to the estate. And the estate is driven by the, the will. So in your will, and you may have a will, as you said, Jessica. So in the will, it says Jessica leaves everything to her spouse. Well, that's fine. Everything will go to him eventually. But before it goes to him or to her, uh, you will have to pay probate fees. And the probate fees is 1.5%. And then at the same time, it then is included in your final tax return. So if you've got a big RRSP, well, that could be a very financially um, profitable year from a, from a tax return point of view. So you're paying the taxes today, you're paying the probate fees, and then the net amount will go to your spouse. All that money could be deferred. You will still have to pay the tax. You'll still have to pay the probate fees, one probate fee instead of two, but you can defer it until he or she passes away, which, you know, could be a long time. So make sure your registered accounts have beneficiaries. The TFSA has similar um, um, beneficiary designations where you could say, I'll allocate it to uh, my spouse's TFSA, so it rolls into her TFSA, or it could go to her, but but it could go to her net uh, outside of a TFSA. 
Uh, I would rather have it go to your spouse within his TFSA so that you could continue to grow that money tax deferred exactly. or uh, tax free, actually. Mm-hmm, tax free, yeah. So that that's a good question and a good point. Go through all the assets. Oh, life insurance as well. Some oh, people yeah. buy life life insurance and allocate the estate as mm-hmm. a beneficiary. Same issue. Probate well, yeah, fees. very well. You could have had a marriage that dissolved, then you got remarried. And I, I've heard people, oh, I forgot to update the spouse or I wasn't married, but I got life insurance a long time ago and it still has the estate. So it's one of those things where it's like, if you're doing some spring cleaning or whatever with your, your accounts, that is such an important thing, especially too, I feel like with work, some maybe you started work when you're in your 20s, now you're in your 40s and you never updated that beneficiary on that form. Right. Totally correct. It's a very easy mistake or or something you could forget, um, but it could end up costing a lot of money. Uh, I know we don't think we're going to die. We don't think we're going to become disabled, um, but it does happen. And unfortunately, it happened to Mary. Um, as you get older, you probably see a, some of your friends going through the same thing. And then disability, that's, that's another huge, huge issue. So you kind of uh, talked a little bit about uh, the importance of cash flow. And that's kind of like your immediate situation. You've got bills to pay no matter what's going on in your life. But like you said, there could be people who they took time off work to, to raise the kids or they worked part time. It is, yeah, I can imagine, like especially that first year when you're really dealing with this new, this completely new life, difficult to figure out, okay, well, I don't, I have half as much income coming in. How can I afford things? I mean, you said not to make any big rash decisions like selling the house or moving or anything like that. But in your experience working with clients, what are some things that people can do to kind of make up for the the lack of income? Is it just about, okay, now it's about um, cutting back and then looking for more work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no magic um, wand where you could create extra money. So I, I actually had a, a very similar case of that. Uh, he was a dentist, a very, very uh, profitable dentist office or dent- dentry office, dentistry office. And they lived a pretty good life, accumulated uh, quite a bit of debt. Most of it came from medical school and, and, um, and all the equipment that he had to buy. Unfortunately, he died young. They had three little little children at the time. She didn't work. Um, she couldn't with three kids, and he was working, you know, 20 hours a day. Uh, their agreement was that she would take care of the, of the housework or the homework. It turned out that we sat down and we looked at everything we possibly could. We said, okay, should we keep the house? Should we sell the house? We ran a bunch of scenarios, and it, it turned out that we just couldn't keep the house, not in the condition. It was just too much uh, of a monthly bill to pay. And so she scaled down. Then we looked at private school. Well, it was all connected, but we looked at the pri- private school for the kids. They were beginning private school. Unfortunately, we, we had to recommend taking them out of private school. And then we had to recommend that she would go back and get a, a full-time job, um, higher help. Um, so it, she did actually, they, they even had life insurance. I think they had close to a million dollars of life insurance and it's still, he had a bit, but not enough. Um, but it gave her an opportunity. That million dollars of life insurance allowed her to, um, it gave her time to think 
And so immediately, as you know, uh, within a, a month, you'll get the, um, the check from, from the life insurance company and you could then pay some bills. You can pay the funeral if it hasn't been pre-arranged. You can buy groceries. You can pay the mortgage. Uh, you can pay education expenses. But eventually, you have to start planning what to do with it in, in more of a long-term um, perspective. So I think the best thing to do there is to pre-plan. Uh, you can't do it after. Afterwards, you may have to make some very difficult choices. So as you probably have done with your spouse, you do a what-if scenario. What if A dies today? How will B be financially affected? And then just turn the, turn the table around and do it for you and, and see if he uh, needs financial help. Um, so it's like, when's the best day to plant a tree? You know, 40 years ago. Um, if not, today. Do it today. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that's another kind of point that you mentioned is they had life insurance, so they did the right thing, but it wasn't enough. And so that's another, I think, thing where you do need to revise, not just like who's the beneficiary on the form, but do you have enough? For example, I think a lot of people forget they get it. They said it and forget it. And they don't realize, oh, we just upgraded to a more expensive home. Uh, you need to also look at is the life insurance you have now going to be enough? So like I recently, me and my husband bought a new home. It's much more expensive than uh, the previous home that we had. So we had to get another uh, life insurance policy because I'm like, if I die or you die, we wouldn't be able to pay off the house with the money that we have. And I wouldn't want to force my spouse to sell the house right away so they can continue living. So that's, I guess, another thing to revisit is, are you covered enough? Because you may not be. He, they seem to do well and they had a million dollar policy and it wasn't enough. And that's, that's, ter that's terrible. Yeah, a million dollars sounds like a lot of money, but when you factor in three kids, they're very, very expensive to, you know, to raise and to educate and to you know, put them in hockey or whatever. Um, yeah, you may not have enough. And you don't think about it. You don't think about it. But you, if you work with a financial advisor or if you're a do-it-yourself investor, you, you have to go through the will and the powers of attorney. We didn't talk about powers of attorney, but the yeah. same thing. Well, let's, well, yeah, one thing I did just want to mention, do you think this is then, because you know we've mentioned there's a few things that you need to check. Is this something that you should kind of look at once a year or every five years or what's like a good kind of routine? Because I feel like most people are like, I don't have time to do this. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. But is it just about setting aside like an hour once a year to make sure all the paperwork is all good. Oh, you know, we forgot about this big life yeah. change. We just had a kid. We should look yeah. at our life insurance or our will again. Yeah, I think if you have a life event, like you've bought mm -hmm. a new home or you've had a, a child or another child or you're separating, any big life event, I think you should look at everything from A to Z. Um, but normally, if you've created a will today, and nothing really big has happened, you haven't had any new kids, we haven't been separated, then I would think every five years would probably be enough to look at your wills and your powers of attorney. Um, but your employee health benefits are renewed every year. Take a moment there. Don't let the default kick in and evaluate, okay, I have life. Do I have enough life? Do I have the right beneficiary? Okay, I have disability. Do I have enough disability? Okay, great. Oh, critical illness. Oh, I should add that. I've never added it before. What I find that everybody knows what they're covered for from a dental point of view. Oh, I have, you know, I, I have X number of dollars of dental care uh, coverage. But if I ask them, well, if you become disabled for the next 20 years, how much coverage do you have? 
Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. nothing. I don't know. I know. Wow. I think most people don't take the time. I mean, very well. I, I, of course, I would because I like this stuff. But yeah. most people forget to check their their benefits and all that stuff. Like just like a, a personal example, my mom was visiting um, over the summer and we went to get massages. I'm like, hey, do you, are you covered? She works for uh, the school board. I'm like, are you covered? Do you have some benefits? She's like, oh, I don't think so. I'm like, well, let's just take a look. And we looked online. She, she's been working for the school board for like 20 plus years and she's always had massage covered and she's never gotten a massage. I'm like, that is, in my view, leaving money on the table. Yeah. <laughs> That's just like one example. She's never looked it up. And I think she actually has gotten massages in the past, but she's just paid cash. I'm like, but you could have gotten actually 80% covered. And that's right. just one little example of, you know, just to remind people that part of your compensation for your work is those benefits, whether right. that's life insurance or, or what have you. And it's, but it's important also, like you mentioned, are you covered enough? Because I think often we think, oh, I'm covered from work, but we actually don't know, well, how much are you covered? Like if your right. life insurance through work is only $200,000, but you need like a million dollar policy, then that's clearly not enough. You're going to have to no. look at a private. And also, I think another thing that people forget about is if you leave that employer, you're no longer covered. And, right. you know, us millennials like to move around. So, right. <laughs> yeah. And if you get sick during that period of time that you're moving around, you mm. may not get coverage. Exactly. So. Yeah. So plan in advance. But like you mentioned, let's talk about powers of attorney. That's another, you know, people think about the wills, but there's a lot of components to having a full estate plan. What are some key things, including the power of attorney that people should remember? Yeah, definitely. I think if you're a millennial or um, anybody younger than, say, 50, 55, you have a greater probability of becoming disabled than actually dying. So although the will is important for a millennial uh, or thereabouts age group, the power of attorney actually is more important because of the probabilities of becoming disabled. So in, in Canada, uh, in Ontario, we have two. We have powers of attorney for property and for healthcare. For property would be um, your house. So for, exa- for example, your home may be in joint ownership. Well, if you're incapacitated, your husband can't sell the house, can't put on a mortgage, can't do anything with it because he needs your signature or your approval. Well, if you're in a coma, you're not allowed to enter into a contract, obviously. Uh, and it, it doesn't have to be a coma. It could be even less severe. You could be, you could be suffering from some form of mental illness that, that, uh, that prevents you from thinking uh, effect, uh, effectively in order to enter into a contract. So let's say you're not allowed to enter into a contract. Well, uh, these assets that are either in your name or in joint ownership are kind of frozen because there isn't anybody that can actually go in and, and administer them. Now, your husband, your spouse, or, or a family member can go to the courts, uh, post a bond and blah, 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 and eventually they will be appointed the ex- executor of the, of, of the, sorry, the power of attorney for property. But it's time-consuming, it's expensive, and it's the last thing you want to do when your daughter or your, or your wife is in a, in a, uh, you know, in, in such a condition. So powers of attorney for property and for healthcare, uh, that is uh, another very important component. Uh, Mary had do not, resuscit- do not resuscitate. So which means that if she is, um, um, well, bottom line, if, if, if she can't breathe, we're not going on a ventilator. And that was her decision. It, it wouldn't have helped. Uh, if it had helped, we definitely would have recommended it and we would have pushed it, but would not have helped. It would have kept her alive, uh, who knows for how long, but 
she wouldn't have been there. So some people say, well, I don't want that type of um, medical care in the event I'm ever in that position. And they, and they write it down and then they allocate an individual to be the power of attorney for care. So usually for care, you allocate your husband or your wife, uh, your spouse. Uh, for property, again, you can allocate your husband or your wife, or you can pick a, a trust company to do that for you. Uh, it depends on who you know and who you trust to do A or B or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's super important. Yeah, and, and if you're a widow or widower, good luck. Who are you going to pick as uh, powers of attorney? Yeah, and you're going to have to not just pick anyone. You're going to have to have good conversations because I know that's a, a big discussion I've been seeing online is a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to be your power of attorney because it's a no. lot of work. It's a lot of work and a lot of risk. <laughs> a lot of responsibility. And I guess the the other kind of uh, important important person to name, uh, you know, when it comes to estate planning is your executor. And that's another thing I think I've been seeing lots of conversations online. It's like, oh, gosh, I want to be an executor. I've seen, uh, you know, family members deal with that. It's a it's like almost a full time job. Sometimes it's it's a lot, a lot of work. But I mean, typically you would name your spouse, I suppose, as your executor or you could name someone else if you feel like I'm going to be too emotional. Yeah, I've, I've seen nine out of 10 times you, you pick your spouse and then you pick the alternate would be children. Um, so if you're a widow, you don't have a spouse. So you, you, have to pick, you have to see whether or not your children can be that uh, power of attorney and the executor of the will. And then uh, would you name a trust company if you don't have kids right. or what would your, or, or would, just a trusted person, I guess, that you know? That would be your two yeah. options. You could pick a trust company. What I've done is I picked a trust company because I have three kids. I don't want them to do it. Um, I think A, they may not even be in the country because right now I've got two out of the three out of the country. And it's very, very difficult if they're out of the province to to act as an executor in Ontario. Um, so you could pick, go to the bank that you deal with. If you deal with uh, Scotia, you walk in, you get a, a referral to a trust, comp- a trust division the trust division and they, uh, Scotia trust will be the executor. Uh, they will, it'll kick in Then you have to pay for it, but it kicks in when you pass away. Uh, and they can be both the executor to the will and they can be the power of attorney for property. They will not be the power of attorney for healthcare. Um, so that you will still need, and you could pick children for that. I, I, I think you could probably, the problem is with kids is if you have one, then you're okay. If you have two or more, they may I think disagree. They, right. Yeah. They may disagree, and two of them may gang up on one. Mm-hmm. If you have three or more, uh, or if you have two, they may be both very, very determined in their ways, mm-hmm. and there's no budging or negotiating or compromising. So the last thing a mom or dad wants is to have their children argue about the estate after they're gone. Um, so consider a trust company, a trusted individual too. If you're going to go with a trusted individual, make sure they are younger than you. Uh, cause if they're the same age and you do die at, of old age, then they may not be, <laughs> they may not be ready to do that job or around. Then you have to go back and change your will. Um, but yeah, very important documents. And again, you don't have to change them every day or every, every year, but if anything big happens, like if you do have an executor who dies or becomes incapacitated or moves from Ontario, then you have to go and change that. Well, you don't have to, but it's a lot more difficult if you're out of province. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's those are very helpful things. I think it's it's one of those things where it's like I'm so glad we we had this uh, chat because I think a lot of people don't think about these important elements, but they when you deal with them when you when they actually happen in your life, you're like, oh gosh, I'm I'm, I'm either really glad that this is all set up or oh I wish I'd taken the time to pre-plan some of the stuff. So before I let you go, is there any other kind of pieces of advice that you'd like to share for anyone who, you know, maybe is either they 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 are a recent window widow or or someone that just wants to make sure that they're planning for the future? Yeah, I think we've covered a lot. I think um I think if I were to give any advice to widows or widowers at the moment, I'd say um don't rush the process of grieving. It may be, it may take you a month. It may take you five years. I, I there's no right or wrong. So grieve. You must grieve. Um, if you don't, it'll come back, and potentially at a at a worse time, and it'll be a buildup of grief. So give yourself the time to grieve. Of course, get help. Um, there are some very good sources, uh, grief counselors, psychologists, your friends. But I, I find friends are not trained in order to help you, but they'll, they'll help. Most of them will. Yeah, they'll listen definitely, and you should talk to them. But the professionals will give you more help. So I think if I had to do it all over again, I, I wouldn't have these predetermined, oh, I'm going to do this in a month or two. Forget, forget your time limits. Just go through it on your own, I mean, at your own pace, at whatever time it takes. It could take a year, it could take more. I've heard people go um, through their grief journey and, and it might take them five years. Is that unusual? No, it, it, it's, it's up to the individual. And it comes and goes, it goes and it, it'll go high for, it'll be very intense for maybe a, a month and then it could come down a bit. But then when you think you've sort of, you've moved on a bit, it, it'll come right back. So widows and widowers should really take their time. And um, it's unfortunately a, a sad part of life. Mm-hmm. But we it have to- It is part of life. We it is to, part of life. We have to learn yeah. how to do it. And yeah. in, in Canada or in, in, in the West, we, we ignore death. Um, unfortunately, we don't give widows and widowers enough uh, attention or the proper attention. You know, we hear things such as, you know, um, he or she's in a better place. Um, I feel like saying, no, he isn't. No, she isn't. <laughs> she, I need her here. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you mean she's in a better place? How do mm-hmm. I get there? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've heard all kinds of really stupid things from. I know. Um, I think it's because, yeah, no one knows how to talk about death in North America because it's just not part of our culture. It's right. And so we're just trying to be like, how could we just move this conversation along, sweep yeah. it under the rug and move on? It's like, no, I mean, if you're going through it, you're really going through it. And right. it's difficult because no one will really understand. Right. Unless they've also gone through something similar. Y- yeah. So maybe just like flip the coin. If you're not a widower or widower and you are talking to a widower or widower, don't sweep it under the rug. Um, so face it with him or her. Talk to him or her about the person who died. That makes him feel so good that you're acknowledging his wife or uh, her husband. Uh, and and it, you don't even have to say anything too deep. Like you could say, well, geez, I really like when Mary and I went to uh, the bowling alley and we played, you know, 10 rounds or 10, whatever, 10 games of uh, bowling. And then we went out for dinner and, and then the guys met us. And just that alone acknowledges that 
hey, other people like her, liked her too, and, and I'm really happy about that. So acknowledge her. Don't, and it doesn't have to be anything really deep, but don't sweep it under the rug. Don't ignore the gorilla in the room. <laughs> uh, yeah. Bring it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's some great advice. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, you know, share some of your personal story and also your advice as an advisor. Really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find more information about you? I know you have your own uh, podcast, Widowhood and Money. Where can they find more information about that and yourself? Yeah, good questions. Um, the Widow and Money, Widowhood and Money podcast will be airing in September. We are building a, a number of, of episodes that will be released shortly. Uh, so, Watch out for that. But the best way to find me is on my website, which is Richard Dree, and that's Richard, D-R-I, uh, at, uh, sorry, dot C-A. So Richard, Richard Dree, Dree dot C-A. C-A. Thank you. <laughs> I had trouble with that one. <laughs> yeah, very simple. My name, dot C-A. Perfect, uh, and that, that you'll, you'll be able to locate me there and you'll find the blogs and the podcasts will be there as well. Amazing, amazing. Well, thanks again for joining me, Richard. It was a pleasure having you. Same here. I really had a good time. Thank you. And that was episode 343 with Richard Dree. You can find more information about him. And he has, honestly, some really great articles on his website, richarddree.ca. So that's Richard and then dri.ca. You can also find him on Twitter at uh, DRI Financial, so Dree Financial. And of course, you can also find him on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can find all the links to his uh, social handles and uh, his website on my website. Uh, you can find them at the show notes for this episode, jessicamorehouse.com slash 343. And don't forget to check out his podcast called Widowhood and Money to learn more about this topic. Now, I've got some things to share with you as always. So don't go away. Just want to share a few words about this podcast season's sponsor. This episode of the More Money Podcast is supported by Desjardins. Do you feel valued at your financial institution? Because Desjardins is on a mission to enrich the lives of Canadians, help build stronger communities, and educate its members so they can confidently reach their financial goals. Not only do they offer one-of-a-kind customer care and offer a variety of financial services to fit your needs, as a cooperative, they put their members first. So if you're looking for an institution that's making an impact, look no further than Desjardins. To learn more about Desjardins and how they're making a difference, visit Desjardins.com. All right, first and foremost, because I, I don't know if I've mentioned this um, in the past few episodes, maybe I have, but I'm just going to remind you, um, I am giving away a ton of books. Whenever there's an author who is on the book, I give away a copy of their book. And you can find uh, information in the show notes, uh, of course, but um, you can just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest. That is a very easy you know, link to remember to enter to win one of the many books that I'm giving away. And currently, and I am going to be adding some more books to uh, this contest as the guests you know, keep on coming on the show. Um, but I'm giving away a copy of Becoming Superwoman by Nicole Lappin, The Bogle Effect by Eric Bautunas, A Scene Heard and Paid by Alan Henry, Untying the Knot by Kelly Lavallee. And of course, the most recent uh, author I've had on the show is uh, Dr. Zakia Accarelli. And I'm giving away a copy of her book, Dump Your Degree. And uh, yeah, 
again, all that info to enter is at jessicamorales.com slash contest. But if you want some other reminders, like in your email inbox, then you may want to uh, subscribe to my email newsletter. You can just go to jessicamorales.com slash subscribe to find information about that and to sign up. Um, and yeah, I really don't pester you that much, honestly, probably because sometimes I, I'm like, oh, right, shoot, I should probably send out a newsletter. <laughs> but it's probably the most I'll email you is honestly like twice a month. Sometimes it's once a month. But uh, I do use my email newsletter as a way to let you know of, you know, things that are happening that I may not get a chance to on the podcast because sometimes I record these in advance. So if, for example, I'm doing a speaking thing or there's an event that you may want to know about, whether it's in person or virtual, if there's just any other kind of cool announcement and I want you to know, I let my email subscribers know first. But of course, I also usually share that information on, you know, my Twitter and my Instagram. So you can also follow me on there. So I am at J-E-S-S-I underscore Morehouse on Twitter and at Jessica I Morehouse on Instagram. And also, if you don't know, I'm also on YouTube. So very different than the podcast. They are informational videos about a certain topic, but I do not interview guests. It is just me talking to you. And so if you want to check that out, you can easily do that. YouTube.com slash, I think it's now I can use my username, which is at Jessica Morehouse. So it's like youtube.com slash at Jessica Morehouse. Uh, but again, it's linked in, you know, my website. And I mean, you just Google Jessica Morehouse within YouTube, and you'll be able to, to find me there. Um, that's kind of all I've got to share with you at the moment. Um, I'm sure there's more things I'm going to share in the near future, but I'm not ready to. So um, thank you so much for listening. A big shout out to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout. And I will see you back here next Wednesday for another episode of the More Money Podcast. Have a good rest of your week. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.